out to Pastor James, who is stepping in for the campus pastor role today because Pastor Nathan is with a missions team down at the Mardi Gras outreach. So we're not partying with everybody right now. We're giving Jesus away on the streets of New Orleans, praise the Lord. Big shout out to everybody in Maple Grove and then in Elk River, Pastor Brian and everything that is happening there. God is on the move in Elk River. We got our brand new sign this week. So now the rest of the community knows it's Emmanuel that's out there on Twin Lakes Road. What's up? We're super excited that all that's happening there in Elk River. Well, today I want to jump right in without further ado. And I want to challenge you to be ready. How many of your Bibles? Got your Bibles? Pull them out. And then you just heard... The announcement, there's an opportunity to get it on version as well to follow along with our notes in just a moment. We've been talking about connect and we've been talking about our need for connection with God the last two weeks. This is an angry culture. Lots of people are angry. They're, they're showing it on social media. They're showing it on the road in road rage. It's on the media everywhere. Even in the drive-through, people are getting angry about the speed of the service. We're just kind of a bottled-up culture, and we have a great need to have that bottled-up frustration and all that pressure let it out, and not in a bad way. And if we don't find the correct way to do it, we'll end up hurting our relationships, and it'll explode on other people in our life. Or worse, it'll go inside of us and we'll implode and we'll have physical problems and stress issues turn into ulcers and other kinds of things. And so Jesus offers a better way and his way is real simple. It's called confession. To confess is to speak the same thing to God as what he already sees, offering a pathway or an avenue for God to take the junk out of our heart and let it go and then replace it with the nutrients of heaven and the things that we want to have, the love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of the things that are available for us, we have to open up the pathway, and that pathway is through confession. It's like an umbilical cord to heaven where uh, it takes the junk out of the baby And then it replaces it with the nutrients. And we're all needing that junk out and the nutrients in. Amen? So when we talk about connection, we first need to connect with God. But now we're moving down the road as we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And if you're there, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 that I'll get to in a moment. First three chapters of Ephesians, we're looking at Jesus and his great grace. And how we, we need him. Jesus in everything. And how Jesus is our solution. He's the one that forgives us for our sin. He's the one that connects us to the Father. He's the one that makes us whole inside. He's the one that gives us any kind of spring in our step and hope for tomorrow. But then there's a a kind of a a new page that's turned as we move into chapter 4. And Paul, the kind of architect of the church that he's speaking to, the one that is the head coach, is speaking to his congregation. He's beginning to say... But it's not just get saved so you can go to heaven. It's not just pray your private prayers. It's not just get alone and just pray. There's other people in your story. There's other people to be connected with. And he wants us to be connected to something larger. And before we get into chapter 4, I want you to think of a moment. I tend to fly um, when I can. I don't like to drive cars if I don't have to on a trip. I want to fly. Anybody else like me? It just is easier. I can relax. I can sleep, whatever else. Some of you, like, I'll drive 10 hours. I don't want to fly. I hate flying. And, well, I'm a flyer. You're not. Sorry. Um, 
And one of the things that I did when I was at North Central is I, uh, for 10 years while I worked at North Central University, I had to travel quite a bit. And uh, when I would get on the plane, I got used to the routine, you know, and the, the uh, flight attendants would get up and they would talk about, you know, here's the aisles here and here and things will drop down, put it over your mouth before you take care of anybody else. And the, the instructions, you kind of drone out on it. But one of the things they do say is everybody put your, turn your phones off. And they'll, they'll hold up the phone, they'll talk about it, it'll be on a video, they'll simply just say it goes off. It can't be on until you get to the ground. Well, once you're in the air, some planes might have Wi-Fi, others don't, but you still have to turn that off at a certain point in the story. When you finally land and the bing goes off and everybody runs to try to get to the overhead bins, there's also a moment just before they, they get everybody, release everybody, they say, it's now okay to turn your phones back on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then there's this moment when you look down at your phone and uh, you receive a message at the top of the screen. And uh, at the top of the screen, it's, it's, it's either moving and it's searching. It's looking for a network or it's looking for a connection. It's, it's searching for something. And until the, the, the network connects in, nothing happens. All you can do is whatever on the phone already. You have no access to the to the voicemails, you have no access to text messages or emails or anything like that. It's kind of distant. It's out there somewhere. But when it connects, miracles occur. An invisible world enters your phone. And you're now empowered to do things that you could not do before. The phone can automatically download or fix bugs of the software. It can download new apps before anything else. And through this connection, all of the resources of the outside world are suddenly at your disposal, ready to provide benefits. And through this link, the phone connects you to an entire world, all of its information and knowledge. And from that one connection, almost anything is possible. However, without it, without connection to the right network, that little device will never be able to do everything it was designed to do. Without a connection, the device has hit its limit. It continues to produce the same results you were producing on the plane, even if you try harder. I want you to know today that you are like that phone and I am like that phone. From the moment we're born, there's something inside of us, a little chip, if you will. I'm not talking about end times, antichrist stuff today. But it's as if some part of us is reaching out for connection to the right network one that will provide us with the energy we need, the searching, the needing of a connection. It's not optional. It's actually part of who we are, whether we want it or not. We're searching, searching for an other, something outside of us. And those relationships beyond Christ, but just relationships with people, they affect our physical and mental functioning throughout our life. It's an invisible power the power of the other, and it builds both the hardware and the software that leads to a healthy, functioning, and better life. Uh, I've been looking at some research, and I've uh, been looking at, is that true, that we really need people and, and all of that? And actually, research is proving it true. People are trying, the research shows that people are trying to reach and accomplish their goals in business, do so, and succeed at a much greater rate if they're connected to a strong human support system. 
The elderly who have suffered heart attacks or strokes fare much better with lower incidence of reoccurrence than with the sport, when they have a support group. People who tap into the power of the other have stronger immune systems, tend to get sick less frequently, and recover faster when they do. And my favorite research revelation this week was this. Even if you eat an unhealthy diet but are part of a close-knit community, you will live longer than if you are emotionally isolated and only eat healthy foods. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. Of course, if you are connected and eating healthy, you might live longer, but you know. There are, there's value in our connections to other people. Even down the road, when you look at your life and your, your connections to people, when you are connected to someone else, you feel better about your story. You're not alone. Ask people about their greatest accomplishments and challenges that they had to overcome you will find one thing in common. There was somebody on the other side of that story that helped you through. People need connection. And our systems are always searching for one. And that's what makes me so excited about our story of the gospel. Jesus' gospel is so amazing. So as we go into Ephesians, I want you to think through the value of what Jesus offers, not only between us and him, but also between us and other people. And by the way, he has a way of putting the puzzle pieces back together again. And of course, we've continued to work on our puzzle, and uh, it looks like it's really coming together now. We've got the border all the way along, and things are coming together. Our life and our connections aren't done all at once. It takes time. Turn to the person next to you and say, it takes time. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Thank you, Lord. Verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Because of your love. Now Paul is making that transition. The door hinge has swung. It's not just about my relationship with God and his calling on my life anymore. It now is inclusive of other people. And he says that we're going to need interpersonal skills. We're going to need to work on it. We're going to have to apply patience with people. We're going to have to apply Humility and gentleness with people. Turn to the person next to you and say, I promise I'll be gentle. <laughs> this is what he's saying. And of course it requires lots of forgiveness. Lots of forgiveness in this story. But it also says that we've got to work on it. Your relationships are going to require work just like it requires work to put the puzzle pieces together. Verse 3, make Every effort, say that with me, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Let me just mention here, he says make every effort, you've got to work at this. But then he uses the word one body. When 
Paul uses the word body here, he's not just saying his physical body. It is a metaphor, if you will, of, of the body of Christ. And that's not just the physical body of Jesus. He's talking about all those that Jesus has reached out to, loved, saved, that's us. And he's called us to be a part of a group of people that he calls the body of Christ. Another way of saying it is it could be the family that he's called. It could be the team, okay? And he's saying that because of Jesus, you are in one team. You're on one team, one family. We're all in this together. So everybody in this room, if you're saved, you're a part of the body of Christ that Paul is talking about here. You are connected to his body. Verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now what Paul is beginning to say is, even though we're on one team, we don't all play the same position. We all have different gifts. I love this because in God's mind, we are supposed to be different. I'm thankful that we're not all the same. It would be a horrible day if all of you were just like me. We need each other, okay? And we need the diversity. There is a sense of diversity. One of the blessings of Emmanuel has been that God has brought great diversity in many ways in our congregation. He's brought age diversity. We have young and we have old and we have everything in between. We have ethnic diversity. We have cultural diversity. And it's God's choice. He wants the diversity. Amen. That's a part of the plan of God. He's given us each different gifts through his generosity. It's kind of like crayons. You know, little crayons, the, the colored crayons that kids pull out to fill in and do the coloring. Some are sharp. Some are pretty dull. Some have names that are weird. And they come in all different colors, and they all have to live in the same box. <laughs> That's what we are. We are different, but we need each other, okay? Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. So he's making another shift. He's also given different gifts back to the body of Christ, the church, okay? These are the gifts that he gives to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, he sends specific people to the church to help the church be who the church should be, okay? And do what the church should be doing. And uh, I want to I just walk through those. Everybody put your hand up because you're going to be walking through this with me with your hand. The first finger that I want you to think about is the pointer finger, okay? The pointer finger is the prophet, okay? If you're talking about these five things that are in Ephesians 4.11, the prophet is the one that points out things, gives insight. And uh, when it comes to the prophet biblically, some people might think, well, the prophet's the one that's the doomsday sayer, talking about end time stuff. But actually, function-wise, most prophets, Old Testament and New, came alongside leaders, and they would bring insight to those leaders, to kings in the Old Testament, but also the, to the New Testament church. We need prophets in nowadays. People that will come in and they're not afraid of saying whatever the plain truth is. 
And they're not afraid of losing their job. They just say it. We need prophets in the church, okay? Now, the second finger, and I want you to keep this finger up because the second finger is the middle finger, okay? Don't want to get any problems going in here, all right? Now, the thing about the middle finger I want you to think of is the evangelist. It sticks out above all the other fingers. Now, the evangelist is a gift to the church because the evangelist is always thinking about other people who aren't here. They're always thinking about the people who are in our neighborhoods and the, uh, the, the cities that are around us, always thinking about them. We could be having an amazing service where everybody's weeping in the house and the evangelist will be like, we need to go get more people. That's the evangelist's heart. Now, the evangelist isn't just the one that cares for us, but the evangelist is the one that is to provoke us to be thinking about those people as well. We can get very egocentric and thinking about our, and myopic and thinking about our own life all the time. But the evangelist is the one that provokes us to think about those who are away from God, okay? Now I want you to look at the thumb, okay? The thumb is the apostle. The apostle is one who kind of pulls the whole thing together, all right? You think about the thumb, if you're going to pick up something, you can pick it up because of the thumb. An apostle in the New Testament was one that would go plant a church, leave that church, let it grow, go to another city, plant another church, go to another city, plant another church, and still go back and write letters to those churches and care for them. The apostle both goes ahead of everybody else and is creating new things, but also has a large picture view. And so they're overseeing and thinking about many things. We need apostles in the church world today. One that functions that way for us at Emmanuel is a, a man named Pastor Clarence St. John. He's the Minnesota superintendent for the Assemblies of God. You never see him, maybe once every few years. In fact, four years he was here when I was installed as the pastor of our church. But Pastor St. John oversees several hundred churches in the state of Minnesota. He planted a church in Hibbing at one point. He's overseen a couple hundred church plants, but he oversees the ministers in our state, and he functions like an apostle, okay? Now, I want you to hold up this finger, okay? This finger is the ring finger. The ring finger is the pastor. The pastor is married to the church. The pastor has to hang with the church, think about the church. When everybody else wants to go somewhere else, the pastor is thinking about the people. They smell like the people because they hang out with the people. They're with them all the time. The pastor stays connected to the church. And finally, Paul says, that there are teachers. The teacher would be the pinky. The teacher has a way, a unique way of getting in your ear. It's the one gift that can make its way into your ear. Yeah, there's wax in there or something, right? <laughs> now, a teacher has a way of making complex things simple or at least makes sense to you. Many people believe that when they look at what Paul had written, that the office of pastor and teacher were often together. So the pastor had to care for the people, but also had to speak on a regular basis, maybe much like I do, and hopefully challenge people to think deeper than they had been teaching. So here's what I want you to consider they have a job. These are gifts to the church. They're not to replace our role. They are sent to the church. And ultimately, as Paul is talking here, he's talking about the team working together. 
He's talking about the body working together. And as he's moving along, he's saying each of us have gifts that are sent to us to help us. That's my job. My role is to equip you, to challenge you, to pastor, and to teach you. Now, verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So what's the responsibility? To equip the body to do the work, like a coach equipping a team, to challenge them to do it, and then to build them up, to help them become a team. We can't all be a team that want to play the same role. The first time I showed up for second and third grade football to coach those second and third graders, which, by the way, was like herding cats out on the field. The first time I asked, how many of you want to be a quarterback? Every hand went up because that's the only position they knew about. But not everyone can be the quarterback. Each of us have to function together. That's the role is to build up or get it working together. Verse 13. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know what he is saying here? You and me, both of us, we cannot grow without each other. We need each other to grow. And God has arranged it as you are saved to be a part of the body of Christ, the team of heaven, if you will, and you need other people to make it along the way. And if we're going to make it, we have to recognize I don't have everything it takes myself. John Calvin said this. He said, no member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities. That's a complex way of saying we need people. We need each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. Around here is a church, the, the term that I've used over my four years as a pastor here is the term redwood faith. And the great redwood forest out on the California coast, these trees grow several hundred feet tall. And those, you would think, they must have really deep root systems, right? Because you think conventional wisdom is, is that buildings go high, they have to have a deep foundation. But in reality, the redwood forest has withstood and these trees stand there for hundreds of years, not because they have a deep root system. In fact, they, their roots only go eight to 10 feet deep. And there's these monster storms that come off the, the coast with high, high winds. How, does the, how do these trees stand the test of time and the storms that come through? And the answer is that each of those trees have root systems that are intermingled. And it's the strength of the whole 
that keeps them together. I believe that as a church, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, if you want to make it, if you want to withstand the storms of your life, it's not going to be because you've memorized five books of the Bible. You don't need to go through eight classes to figure out how to do eschatology right. You don't have to memorize, you don't have to be the perfect 10-year Christian. You got your pen. What you need is relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And your roots need to be connected to one another. And in being connected, when your storm comes, you can make it. Not because you've got deep roots, but because you're a part of the team. You're a part of the family of God. That's what we need. A great way of talking about these connections is a book Dr. Henry Cloud wrote called The Power of the Other. And he talks about four places of connection. I'm going to grab a board here and hopefully this will help me out. Dr. Cloud works with kind of high-end, high-pressure CEOs and organizational leaders and, and some pastors around the country. And what he does is he notices characteristics of these leaders, these people, and uh, what they need. And you would think that in... And business, if you're successful, and life, if you're successful, that all of your relationships are okay. But the truth is, that's not the case all the time. As a matter of fact, how do moral failures happen with high-profile leaders? And how do how do breakdowns happen? And how do marriages split up? And how do family turmoil happen? How does how do finances get? Uh, out of whack and people do stupid things over time with finance. It has to do with the relationships. has to do with the connections that they have or don't have with the other. And so he has four quadrants or four corners that he talks about. And, and each of them um, are, are uh, important. And we have all of our relationships fall into one of these four at any given time. They can go back and forth. The first is no connection. And this is a place where no one sees into you. No one knows what you're going through. You've got all the pain, the stress, the anxiety. It's all up in your own head. There's no connection to anyone else. And you're in a place of isolation, alone and in isolation. And by the way, I'm not just saying people that are going and living in some kind of cabin on the top of a mountain as a hermit. You can be in a crowd and be alone. You can have lots of people around you. You can have a large family and be in a place of no connection. You can be in that place. And when it comes to leaders or people, all of us need to answer some of the questions of life. Like, do you have some place where you can be 100% honest and vulnerable as to what you're going through? Where you can totally be honest about struggles and conflicts and needs and weaknesses. This question alone was asked of leaders and Dr. Cloud had recorded some of their answers. And 80% of the leaders he asked said, no, I don't have a place like that. We're talking about the top end leaders had no place to drop their guard. You know, the more successful you become, the more responsibility you have, the more you shoulder there's a lot of stuff that never gets shared, and you aren't meant to live that way. 
The, question, the second question he asked him was, do you have anyone or any group of people who is totally committed to your growth and well-being as a leader? And the result was the same. 80% said, no, I have no place like that. The last question that he asked him was this. Have you experienced anything in the last year that you would say has gotten to clinical proportions? I've had a blowout, a breakdown, burnout, loss of energy, loss of, of, of optimism, depression, an addiction, sleep problems. And 80% of the leaders said yes. So when you're stuck in a place of no connection, you are in a place where you can't get out of that. And it will break down somewhere, either in your relationships, in your health, or with other things. Second corner is the bad connections. Now, in the bad connections, some of you are thinking, well, that's just bad people, right? No. Actually, what this refers to is bad connections. The one common ingredient is that the people around you have the power to make you feel bad. So whatever relationship you're in, somehow it produces a bad feeling. Now, this is a little bit better in that you're connected to something. But in this case, when you're with those people, it produces bad things. Bad feelings. Takes you down. Makes you feel negative about yourself. And that could come from high expectations maybe those people have of you or perfectionism or unreasonable demands or a critical spirit or withholding of praise or shame or guilt or silence. And those things kind of put pressure on you. And unbelievably, but it's true, because of the way we're wired, if we grew up with that, many people had that when we were younger and those people are no longer in our life, but they're in our head. And we can feel it. It's like another internal voice while we're driving. And we become, we, we go on a downward spiral of emotion. And we feel negative, even though nobody said anything negative to us. This is a weird place to be, but many people I've run into are stuck in the bad connection corner. And then there's the pseudo good connection corner. And in this corner, because this feels bad and this feels bad, I want something that makes me feel good. And so we get kind of a false sense of connection. It's a, another way of saying it, it's seductively false. It's not really a good connection, but it feels good for a moment. And this is where we drive kind of sensory-wise, our connecting signal goes out. And we will find anything that can make us feel good for a moment. Anything. We're stressed. We want something. So then, then we, we kind of want something to make us feel good for a moment. So then it's food. Food could be it. You know, if I were to say, think of a, an amazing, most amazing hot cinnamon roll you've ever had in your life. It's been warmed up and there's butter on the top and it's floating down. And you have a fork in your hand. Friends, tell me who's not happy right now. You know what I'm saying? We can get kind of that instant gratification where we feel like, man, I feel good. But it can go on to other things. It could be an affair. It could be an addiction. 
It could be temporary displacement. I'm really stressed, so I'm going to look at Facebook for an hour and a half. It's not really meeting our need, but we feel good for a moment. It could be an addiction to a video game or getting caught up in something that takes our time, but it doesn't benefit us. It's a pseudo good connection. Maybe it's just posting something and we want to feel good, so we post something and we know we'll get a lot of likes. That's what we want, and it's temporary, and it doesn't feel, it doesn't make that connection that we need. We feel good for a minute, but we're empty and we're looking for more. Sometimes, friends, we have to disconnect from those things in order to move towards healthy relationships and healthy behavior. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The fourth corner is the true connection. And this is the place that we all want to live. This is the place where we're no longer seeking temporary approval. You know, here we might be going, you know what? I just need somebody to affirm me, to give me a compliment. And we live for the compliments. But here, we don't have to live for the compliments anymore. Because we're in a place of relationship with someone who loves us or who we are. We've built integrity into the relationship. I know I'm accepted even when I fail. I know that I'm okay. This is the biblical place of biblical relationship in the body. It's the picture of what God wants for all of us. It's a place where real connections are made. A real connection is one in which you can be your whole self, the real, authentic you, a relationship to which you can bring your heart, mind, soul, and passion. You can be honest because people in that corner are for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm for you. <laughs> no matter where you are or what obstacles you might be facing, you need your connections to win. We need others. They help us figure out who we are and where we are and where we need to go and who the real enemies are and who they aren't. They kind of give you a balance. There's someone that says, I got your back. I love what Zig Ziglar said years ago. It was a quote I put down a long time ago. A lot of people have gone further than they thought they could because someone else thought they could. There's something about the energy we get from someone else who believes in us and is on our side and they're in the journey with us. I want to share a story. It was back in the days when I was a youth pastor here at Emmanuel. I was in my upper 20s. That seems like a long time ago now. I was a few less pounds than I am right now, and uh, same height, though. I haven't shrunk, praise the Lord. But I reached a point in my story where I was trying to make, I was bothered inside, and I didn't know why. I didn't know what my next job would be. I didn't know where life was going. I had been a youth pastor for a couple years, and I enjoyed what I was doing. But then other things come in. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just questions and People ask stuff, and I wondered, you know, am I, are my best days behind me? And what am I going to do with my life? And I remember during that time, we, one of my closest friends, Scott Fenton, was the assistant youth pastor with me. And 
We'd done all, everything together, and he was feeling stirred to be a lead guy, so he was looking at other churches and to be the lead youth pastor. And, and, uh, and I felt, you know, it was the right thing to do, but I felt kind of awkward about it. And, and I remember during that time there was a guy, that, a speaker that came in for one of the camps we had, and, and this guy took me out to lunch, and he tried to convince me that I needed to be a traveling evangelist. And so he's like, they're, they're dying off in the land, Nate. You have a gift, and you should go on the road. And he's trying to talk me into this. And, you know, something in me was like, I'm tired of people pushing stuff at me. The other part of me was going, what if he's right? And I couldn't, I couldn't make sense. Maybe I'm, in the, maybe I'm the one that should be leaving, and Scott should be staying. And I didn't know. I clearly, I mean, I would pray, and it was like prayers bounced off the ceiling. It came back down, and... And then I would have some conflicts on the staff, and I'd go to a meeting, and it seemed like somebody, nobody was buying my ideas anymore. It wasn't as exciting as it was when I started out, and, and I, I was just bothered. And so finally, I, I'm going, I've got to talk to Dr. Anderson, my mentor. He was the president of North Central, former teacher of mine. And so I've got, got to talk to Dr. Anderson. So I called his office and uh, set up an appointment that week. Next week, I got into his office, and I sat down. And uh, I didn't know how to start, so I just went, I just, everything came out of my mouth. And I don't know what Jody wants, and I don't know what, and I was just throwing things out there. And maybe I should quit. Maybe I should just go into business, you know. You know, I'm throwing all these things out there because I was bothered inside of me. And he just sat there as he always did, and he provides a safe place, and I know I could say anything to him. And he just listened. And then finally... I was done talking, and then he talked. And it was the, sync, the, the signal, the chip inside of me started reaching out, and it hit. And I talked to him, and then he talked, and it was like the signal came back. And as he talked, he began to talk about the stories of his family that I didn't make sense of at the time. I'm like, why are you talking about this? And then he went into something. He said, Nate. He said, you know, I've noticed something about youth pastors and senior pastors. Youth pastors is about year number four. Senior pastors is about year number seven. They get antsy. And they're ready to leave. And he says, I don't understand it, but I think something happens. He said, I think when you start off and you get into the story of being a pastor, you're over your head. And so you are doing everything you can. You're staying up late. You're getting up early. You're praying your guts out. You're praying hard. And you're going after God. And you're saying, God, help me. And your adrenaline is mixed with God's anointing. And you get in. And a couple years into the story, it's as if it doesn't take as much adrenaline anymore. You don't have to put as much in. People know you. you built your team. The group is growing. There's leadership have the vision that you don't have to share anymore and everything is good and he says what happens is it takes less adrenaline so the adrenaline drops and you mistake it for the anointing lifting and so he's saying you know maybe God's calling you out but I don't think he is he said but what I do think is happening is you don't need as much adrenaline anymore and if you could not be addicted to the adrenaline and the excitement and the feelings and you stay in it, you'll find the next two years the most fruitful years of your ministry. And so I did. And he said, by the way, you can't, you might not feel better about it, but God's going to do more. My prayer life stayed the same. It wasn't like I stopped praying. 
And I just pastored. Pastor Scott went and found a, a church, in his home church in Indiana. And then our group grew by about 300 people over the next two years. And God did amazing things. And I didn't feel any better than I did before. But God was removing my addiction to the adrenaline of the feeling. You hear what I'm saying? When he told me that, it was as if all the peace in the world dropped in my soul. I'm like, I don't need to go anywhere. I'm okay. I was the same guy walking out as I was walking in. But my conversation with the trusted other released something in me that gave me energy to go back into the battle. We all need to have some way to have that power of the other in our, our lives. We need it. And by the way, this happens in marriages. You get married, and the first year is amazing, and then the adrenaline drops off. And you got to stick with it. You got to be faithful. Stay in the journey so that you can stay married. Can I get an amen? As the steward of your life, you and I need to follow what Dr. Cloud's advice was. You know, what he said is that in the 25 years I've been working with high-powered CEOs and other top performers, one characteristic stands out. The leaders who accomplish the most, thrive the most, overcome the most, are not afraid to say they need help. They have to be able to do that. They drop their guard. And as you look at your life right now and the relationships that you have, are you surrounding yourself with people who will fuel you? you? They'll give you energy. Are you surrounding yourself with those people? Because otherwise, if you're stuck in the bad connection or you're stuck in a pseudo-good connection, you're missing out on the true connection. And worse, if you're in no connection, you're vulnerable. You could be knocked off. As the steward of your life, make sure that you have these kinds of corner four fueling stations in your life at regular interview, intervals. For example, Jody and I, our connect group, we don't get to meet very often. But when we do, it's a powerful thing. And we're like anybody else. When it's time for connect group, ah, oh, maybe not this time. We got all these other things that pop up and we could just stay home and relax. But when we finally get in the door, just last Sunday, we walked in and we get to sit down with the Starias and the Cunninghams. And these are friends that we're on the journey with, with life, and we're sharing things. We're not always talking deep all the time, but we all have kids, and we're praying for our kids, and we're thinking about life. I'm telling you something happens in the middle of our connect group. It's almost like peace enters our soul. It's the power of other people in our story. We need others. You need others. When we walked out of the connect group last week, I was flying high. I felt like I was excited. I could take on the world. And we were in the journey, not just Jody and I, but we were in the journey with other couples as well. You and I need to be connected to each other. Let me end with this. I couldn't end a sermon like this on Ephesians chapter 4 without getting my favorite verse of all time in here. Ephesians 4.29. Paul goes on and he begins to talk about the various things that are needed to stay connected to others. And he says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I love this verse. It's so much so that I've preached it almost every year now here at Emmanuel. Any chance I get. 
Because Ephesians 4.29, I would like you to think of it as a time of day. 4.29. What time is it? So it's 4.29, okay? It's always time to benefit the people that are around you by building them up. Let's not be the people that are the bad connections to others. Let's be the people that build each other up. Let's be the people that encourage one another. It's always 429. So when you go to lunch today and somebody says something cutting to you, it could be a family member or a friend, you can stop them and say, excuse me, what time is it? They're going to say, oh, it's it's 1230. Nope, it's 429. It's time to build other people up. I give you permission because it's always 429. Don't be a hater. (laughs) Someone who doesn't like to see the success of others enjoying pointing out the flaws and negatives of others. Hashtag don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. It's always 429. Today, I want us to do something as a conclusion to my message I want to challenge you to practice what I'm preaching. Paul is leading us towards connection with others and the fact that we need each other. Not only do we need, not only do I need other people for me, but I need to be connected to support others. It's two sides of the relationship. We all need each other. And today what I want us to do is I want us to practice what I preach in the sanctuary on each of our campuses. Maple Grove and Elk River and Spring Lake Park, I want us to do this. I want us to build each other up. I want us to move toward a place of connection. And I'm not saying we're going to like, you don't have to like share deep, long-term historical stuff. But if wherever you are in your story, you have a need, I want to hear about it. Your friends around you want to hear about it. And what I want us to do is huddle up groups of two, three, or four where we're actually facing each other like a team in a huddle and just say, hey, what's your need? How can I pray for you? And each one can share what they have a need and then pray for each other. And there's something powerful that can happen with the power of the people around. You see, when we're stuck in this way relationships where you're looking at me and you're sitting in rows, I can't do a whole lot for you other than inspire you to take steps. But there is something that happens When you connect with other believers, there is a power that God has in them that reaches you. And there's a power that God has in you that reaches the people you're with. And you can trust that God is working to build his church, to help us grow up together. We truly need one another. So what I want to do in just a moment is I want us to gather, to think, to pray, and that will be the conclusion of our service. But I also want you to do this. If you're here today and you need a relationship with Jesus, and you just need Jesus, you need to come back to him maybe, give your life to him, be okay with sharing it with the group that you're with. And say, I just need, I need a relationship with God. And then you can pray right there in your group. Say, Jesus, I need you. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So all you got to do is pray that out, and you can pray, and we're going to cheer you on. Nobody's better than anybody else in the house today, amen? And then at the end, very end here, if you guys are still around, I'll pray a prayer of blessing before we get out of here. So on count of three, I want you to stand. One, two, three. Stand up.
huddle up, go. You practice what I just talked about. Talk, pray, 